Play the movie. Yeah, play. Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning into another episode of the Milk Movies podcast. Today, we're going to start with some video game news because the PlayStation 5 reveal event happened uh, last week. I'm going to be honest, as a PlayStation stan, I've had PlayStation my entire life. I love PlayStation. I'm pumped. The event was fantastic. The presentation was super cool. They did. I thought they did a really good job of kind of uh, working around today's circumstances and the fact that they couldn't get one entire event, one entire presentation together. So I thought they did a really good job with that. The system itself and the controller, I think actually looked really slick. I was a little bit nervous when the uh, controller had leaked a few weeks ago. I thought it looked too Xboxy. Uh, as a, again, as a PlayStation guy, I didn't want an Xbox controller for PlayStation. I wanted a PlayStation controller for PlayStation. And after kind of letting it stew and seeing the system and the controller together, they look awesome. I'm really excited. There is a digital version and a hard drive version. I am probably going to get, you know, the one where you get to use the disc. I want that one. I've always been like a physical copy game type of person. Uh, not going to get into why. Literally does not matter. Uh, with that too, they didn't... They didn't announce a price for either system. I was going to say it's not a surprise. It just kind of it's annoying that they didn't announce anything. Um, the pre-order price was set at seven hundred dollars. Not a surprise at all that the expectation is that uh, the system is going to be sold at higher than what it has been in years past because we've known that. Uh, Microsoft with the Xbox, Sony with the PlayStation, they've been doing us a great service by selling it at a loss for so many years now. So it's probably about time that they bump up the price and we probably pay more in line with what it's actually worth. Hopefully, I'm, I'm really hoping that they don't go over 500 or super max 600. We'll see what they do there. Uh, they've obviously been banking on people buying games, uh, extra controllers, extra anything, any extra accessories to kind of bump up uh, from that loss that they're selling it at. Um, Either, I'm excited. The graphics don't look amazing. It's not really about that. Adding on to a, a movie side of things, PlayStation 5, you will be able to uh, play 4K through it. That's really cool with the PlayStation 4 and the PlayStation 3. If you had like a disc or some movie you wanted to play, it was going to be at best Blu-ray. So this is definitely exciting that we will get uh, 4K capabilities from the PlayStation 5. Uh, Graphics-wise, not an incredible upgrade. That's not really the point of upgrading here. There are obviously games where there is a significant jump in the graphics and they're obviously they're going to be better as a whole uh even with the announcement of the spider-man miles morales extension um that looked much better than the the spider-man game that we have right now um so hopefully there are little tweaks there um it, the biggest thing is that it's going to be able to just process things faster more smoothly um, sorry, everybody that I don't know the exact terms. I'm not the biggest video game nerd in the world. I just, I like video games. Um, but regardless, cool event, really exciting to see all that. We finally have some news, um, from the video game side of things with everything releasing this holiday season. Uh, with the event, there were reported 7.3 million people that tuned in for the live event. Uh, from what I saw, that was a video game live stream record. Not really a surprise. That's a crazy number of people. Um, but what's interesting is they were able to bring in Sony when this uh, reveal, 7.3 million people tuned in. San Diego Comic-Con at home, 
that one, and you'll see why I'm tying these two together in a second here, San Diego Comic-Con at home will retain its July 22nd through July 26th dates, and it will be available to the public to stream and follow along for free. So a five-day event, obviously something that people really care about. It's going to be really interesting to see if they ever break that 7.3 million people. I don't know if those 7.3 million people were at the exact same moment, like that was the peak that was tuning in, or if that's maybe just through the course of the event, that's how many people tuned in in total. Um, I would be really surprised to see this break that, but at the same time, I totally wouldn't. They're not in the same category, video games versus everything media, in a sense. Um, they don't compete like that, so if they do break it, it's not like they're going to be like, oh, broke the record uh, just a week later or something like that. Um, but either way, having this stream for free to the public is going to be awesome. They are promising panels and presentations to comics, gaming, television, film, and more. So it's pretty much going to feel like normal. My guess is that it's going to have a very similar feel, similar presentation style to what Sony did with the PlayStation, just because obviously we're not going to have everybody centralized at the same location to present things. Um, if that's the case, totally fine by me. Definitely looking forward to it. Personally, I'm pretty much only looking forward to Marvel news and anything else exciting that comes out of it is just going to be a bonus. Um, but we'll see. Again, July 22nd through July 26th are the official dates for San Diego Comic-Con at home. Uh, real movie news now. A ton of updates, mostly from Warner Brothers. A ton of movie news um, with release dates moving around, whether they were, again, delayed or, fortunately, some of them actually moved forward. Um, not going to get into everything here. On Twitter, I shared a graphic that just broke down um, the major releases through the rest of the year. If you want to go check that out, please follow me on Twitter. While I'm at it, I'm just going to tell you guys to subscribe, rate this podcast, review this podcast, share it with your friends. That does wonders for me. It does wonders for the people that are in charge of podcasts and whatever. So I really appreciate that. I haven't thrown that in there in a while. So if you guys do that, really, really appreciate it. Thank you guys. Anyways, uh, it looks like theaters and movies can expect July to start to feel like normal time again. And starting off with July 1st, funny enough, that is the Wednesday prior to the 4th of July, the 4th of July weekend. So no surprise that we're not getting anything on that exact Friday necessarily. Um, but we're going to be getting Unhinged with Russell Crowe. I still have no idea if that's going to get a wide release or if it's if it's a not foreign film, for America at least, uh, because I mentioned this on the podcast before. When I initially was talking about that movie on Twitter and whatnot, sharing the trailer, sharing my personal thoughts, it was a lot of French people that were interacting with it. Obviously, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I was just surprised because it, it's Russell Crowe. I'm not expecting that to be a French film. Um, but Unhinged, we'll see what goes on with that. July 1st is very early, given when everything else is expected to be out. So we'll see if it does get forced to delay, if it does get forced to go on demand. Whatever the case is, right now we have July 1st to kick things off in theaters again with Unhinged. Uh, July 10th, so that would be the Friday after, so about, you know, obviously nine days later, we'll get Relic. What's interesting about Relic, and the specific reason I know that, is because it is set to hit theaters July 10th. It's also set to be available on demand that same day. Maybe Unhinged does the same thing there and they play copycat with Relic. Uh, but Relic, July 10th, in theaters and on demand the same day, July 10th, the Broken Hearts Gallery, Sony announced, will be hitting theaters. Um, so there's that. The following week, July 17th, that is supposed to be or should I say, was supposed to be the big day. July 17th was the original release date for Tenet. It got delayed. 
But good news, it only got delayed two weeks. So it went from July 17th to July 31st. What's really cool now, obviously Christopher Nolan's directing Tenet, also directed Inception. And I mentioned that recently with John David Washington's quote about uh, between Inception and Tenet, one of them being from Compton and the other one living in Europe. So again, I'm, I still love that quote. Inception is going to be taking Tenet's place on July 17th and will be re-releasing in theaters. So that's really cool. That means that the following week, July 24th, Mulan is pretty much set to be the first big-time release in theaters. And I guess July 24th, we can now start to say, okay, things are really starting to be normal. We're getting big movies in uh, theaters again. Um, so good for Mulan. I'm excited for Mulan. They were obviously set to have a huge... Um, audience bringing, uh, coming in for this movie, however you want to put that. I totally butchered that. But regardless, Mulan July 24th, going to be big worldwide. Uh, and again, like I mentioned, July 31st, so the following week, will be Tenet. Uh, so that's what we have for July. But really, the only things that you need to know, Inception getting re-released, Mulan July 24th, and Tenet July 31st. Bill and Ted face the music. We got a trailer for that movie. And they even moved their uh, release date up from August 21st, one week, to August 14th. The trailer looks... I mean, I think it looks okay. There are a lot of people that are saying that it sucks or they're not interested, and I guess that's not a surprise that everybody always feels differently about different movies. Um, but Bill and Ted is obviously a beloved franchise. Um, Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter coming back for the third movie here. Um, August 20... Or, excuse me, August 14th there. Uh, kind of going out of order here the rest of the way. Uh, we have Wonder Woman 1984 did get another delay this time. It is still staying in 2020, so that's good. But Wonder Woman 1984 coming October 2nd. Uh, the Matrix 4, another Keanu movie. The Matrix 4 has been delayed until April 1st, 2022. Uh, the Tom and Jerry live action animated hybrid movie moves from December of this year, moves back to May 5th, 2021. Godzilla vs. Kong was set to release sometime this fall. That gets delayed also to May 2021, but that will be May 21st, 2021. Uh, and finally, no time to die. The release date changed. But good news, it, it moved up. It moved up. It only moved five days, so it's not really a big deal. But it moved from the Wednesday prior to Thanksgiving, moves five days, up to the Friday before Thanksgiving, to November 20th in the U.S. and November 12th in the U.K. So, Really excited for that. If, I, if I'm excited for two movies this year, my big two as of right now are Tenet and No Time to Die. Obviously, when we get Dune in December, I'm definitely looking forward to that too. But uh, Tenet, again, highlighting on my personal favorites right here. Tenet delayed two weeks to July 31st and No Time to Die moves up five days to November 20th. Uh, trailers here as You Should Have Left from Blumhouse starring Kevin Bacon and Amanda Seyfried. Uh, we got a trailer for this movie I don't really know what kind of return they're expecting on it because they're not marketing it at all, really. Uh, the trailer dropped just last week, and it's already going to be available on demand this coming Friday. So June 19th for You Should Have Left. Thank you, Blumhouse. You're giving me something to talk about next week. Going to be reviewing it on the podcast. Uh, synopsis. A screenwriter travels to a remote house in Wales with his family so that he can write the sequel to his big hit film. But... He begins to regret his decision after suffering from a severe case of writer's block. Kind of a peculiar synopsis there, because if you saw the trailer, I tweeted it out. It's not really what it's about. Obviously, there's if he's writing and he gets writer's block, that's a vague way to put it. 
But the thing to know is that the house is haunted, and for all of my listeners that are familiar with Doctor Who, whether you watch it or you've just heard of it, the TARDIS, for those who don't know, the TARDIS is, in short, uh, the Doctor's time travel machine. That's a short way to think about it. The bigger thing to note is that it's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. The house that Kevin Bacon and Amanda Seyfried are moving into is bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. Kevin Bacon confirms that in the trailer by using his little measuring tape and measuring it out. The house is haunted. It's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. Um, I definitely think it looks interesting. I think Blumhouse has actually been putting out some predominantly good movies as of late, as opposed to the ones where they're just kind of churning them out for whatever reason. Um, so you should have left from Blumhouse June 19th, again, reviewing that on the podcast next week, uh, 7,500 or 7,500, 7,500, however you're supposed to say that. Uh, that is an Amazon original starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt, also releasing June 19th, so available on Amazon Prime or you can rent it however you want to get it. Um, synopsis here as a pilot's aircraft is hijacked by terrorists. That's all they give you. Uh, within the trailer, the text you know that pops up on the screen, they mention that 7500-7500 is the emergency code for an airplane hijacking. They go on to state that there is no code for what comes next. It's got a minimalistic setting. It, it just takes place in the airplane from what I can tell. Um, I like movies like that. And going back to Doctor Who, there's actually an episode where they're pretty much just on a plane or like a train for the entire episode. It was really good. It was really scary. It was creepy, I guess. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's going to be a thriller. I like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, you Should Have Left in 7500, like I mentioned, both of those. Getting a review on the podcast next week as they will be available this Friday, June 19th. Uh, next trailer as Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga. We finally get the official trailer for this one, um, official movie poster dropped for the movie as well after we got the teaser for it just a few weeks ago. This one stars Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams. It's coming to Netflix on June 26th. Mentioned the synopsis before, but I'll go over it one more time. When aspiring musicians, Lars and Segret, are given the opportunity to represent their country at the world's biggest song competition, they finally have a chance to prove that any dream worth having is a dream worth fighting for. I just, especially after seeing the trailer, the teaser for it was electric. I think that's exactly how I put it before. The trailer, I don't know. I'm, it's whatever. I don't think it's going to be good. I'm just, I'm going to watch it. I think I'm going to at least be okay with it. I'm going to accept it for what it is. Uh, I like Will Ferrell. I like Rachel McAdams. So I want to trust that it's going to be good. Will Ferrell singing is always exciting. Um, my concern is that I'm getting Blades of Glory vibes from this movie. Not saying that's a bad thing necessarily, but what I mean more specifically is the campaign, so Will Ferrell and Zach Galifianakis, that was a copy and paste story of what Talladega Nights was. So it was John C. Riley and Will Ferrell, you know, doing NASCAR racing, and the campaign was just Will Ferrell and Zach Galifianakis doing politics. Otherwise, the story was pretty much the exact same. So this one, I'm personally getting similar vibes to where... Uh, Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams are just singing songs, whereas in Blades of Glory, Will Ferrell and John Hader were just ice skating. I, again, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I want Will Ferrell to do good. I always like his movies. I like Rachel McAdams. I don't know. Whatever. June 26th for Blade, or not Blades of Glory. June 26th for Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga. Another movie that's got a similar release date, June 26th. 
My Spy, starring Dave Bautista. He announced in a video with his co-host, the little girl. Uh, they pulled their theatrical release when the world ended, and uh, they were kind of up in the air on when it was really going to be coming out. They finally announced it is coming to Amazon Prime on June 26th. Again, sharing the same date as Eurovision. Uh, that's all I got for My Spy. Available on Amazon Prime June 26th. Theater news. AMC Theaters plans on reopening in July, despite their quarter one loss of over $2 billion. That's crazy. They once they originally filed for bankruptcy, and then I don't know what happened with that, but they plan on opening back up in July. So, I mean, personally, as an AMC A-list member, and that's I use AMC Theaters... This is good news for me. I mean, if, if movies are going to be coming back in July and I get to see them at my regular theater, I get to use my AMC A-list membership. Cool. I mean, I, I don't know if they're going to explain more about what's going on. I maybe could have just read some more stories if they explained things further. But regardless, I'm glad that theaters get to open back up. I believe in California, they have already opened some uh, theaters starting around June 12th. So if anybody lives in California, if you're familiar with what's going on in California, correct me if I'm wrong or confirm if I'm correct. Uh, but cool, AMC Theaters plans on opening up again in July. Uh, the Academy Awards announced that the Best Picture category is adding a 10th nominee starting in 2022. Uh, the category has been set at 9 nominations since 2017, and prior to 2017, it was set at 8. So, whatever. They're just adding another nomination for the category. Cool. Cool. I don't know what that does. Just thought everybody should know. The Academy Awards added another nomination for the Best Picture. Next week. Already talked about it. Going to be reviewing You Should Have Left, which will be available on demand this Friday. And I will be reviewing 7500, which is an Amazon original coming on Amazon Prime uh, with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. So those two. And then the Rewind is kind of up in the air right now. I'm kind of working through to see if I'm going to maybe have a guest on the show so we can talk about Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. That would be my 2019 review. It's obviously available on Disney+. Plus. So depending on what happens with the guest and if I maybe just choose to review that movie or not review it regardless, um, I'll share an update at just a later date just to let everybody know uh, what I will be reviewing as my third movie and rewind for next week. Today, going to be talking about for the first time in ages, I have three new movies that I can talk to you guys about and uh, let you know if I recommend them or not or what my general thoughts were on them. Uh, gonna kick it off with Artemis Fowl, released on Disney+. Plus. Artemis Fowl, a young criminal prodigy, hunts down a secret society of fairies to find his missing father. Artemis Fowl is obviously the adaptation of the book from, I couldn't tell you one, never read the book, uh, but Artemis Fowl again from Disney+. Plus. The King of Staten Island, uh, that was available on demand over the weekend as well. Scott has been a case of arrested development since his firefighter dad died. He spends his days smoking weed and dreaming of being a tattoo artist until events force him to grapple with his grief and take his first step forward in life. Third movie, this one comes from Netflix, The Five Bloods. Four African-American vets battle the forces of man and nature when they return to Vietnam, seeking the remains of their fallen squad leader and the gold fortune he helped them hide. So we got those three today, one from Disney+, Plus, one from Netflix, and one available on demand. So without further ado, let's review Artemis Fowl. I think the worst thing that a movie can be is not bad, not terrible, not atrocious, not embarrassing, nothing like that. I think the worst thing a movie can be is forgettable. And if I'm being honest, despite the varying expectations that I had going into Artemis Fowl, 
forgettable is probably the last assumption that I would have made about what the movie would be. Artemis Fowl was rated PG. It was directed by Kenneth Branagh. Remember that he directed uh, Murder on the Orient Express that I reviewed before. Uh, Artemis Fowl is categorized as an adventure, family, and fantasy movie. Again, adaptation from a book. It runs one hour and 35 minutes long, and it stars Ferdia Shaw, Larry McDonald, Josh Gad, Colin Farrell, and Judy Dench. 22% full on the milk meter for me, Artemis Fowl is. Not knowing a lick about the book or how the book plays out, my understanding is that the film adaptation is not even close to its source material. Unfortunately, from what I can tell, that was the wrong decision. The only way that I can personally vouch for that is by sharing my lack of enthusiasm for what I did get to see. With a somewhat unclear plot, bland storytelling, and characters that I could not have cared less for, I've already moved on from the Artemis Fowl experience, even if there is a possibility for a sequel. Back to the array of expectations that I had mentioned earlier, I initially planned on seeing a, a dead-on average movie, something between like, you know, a 45% full and a 55% full. Then, once early reviews started coming in, and they completely thrashed and tore apart Artemis Fowl for its lack of competency, I'm not going to lie, I, I got a little excited to see a really bad movie, something in the teens or even, even lower, like a single-digit score movie. Then, after finally seeing the movie for myself, I was kind of disappointed, to say the least, because it was just a regular bad movie. It wasn't, like, in the middle bad. It wasn't ferociously bad. Uh, ferociously bad, not ferociously bad. Ferociously bad, like single digits. It was just regular bad. Again, even just a few days after seeing it and being removed from my Artemis Fowl experience, as I mentioned before, it's just forgettable. Like, I already don't remember anything that I saw. While I was watching it, I just kept thinking, like, I don't know, this is average, it's whatever. But uh, hindsight, I really wasn't paying attention the whole time. Like, it just, it never, it never grabbed my attention. I, it was really hard to follow along. I couldn't tell you, like, anything that happened now. So, given the movie a few days to stew and sit with me and I can really think about it more, I think it, I mean, for me, it didn't help the movie any, any much. It helped me realize, like, oh, I don't like Artemis Fowl. If you have kids, and you need to entertain them, I'm sure that they'll convince you that they want to see it and that they liked it, and they'll convince themselves that they liked it. But otherwise, I, I just don't see any, any need to spend 90 minutes on Artemis Fowl with all the other content that's available on Disney+, Plus, that's available on Netflix, or Hulu, or HBO, not really have HBO Max now. Uh, I don't know. Don't worry about spending 90 minutes watching Artemis Fowl. I think I got about half an hour into The King of Staten Island when I started describing the movie to myself as darkly charming. They, that may not be the exact tone that Judd Apatow was going for, but Pete Davidson's performance paired with the supporting cast and, of course, Apatow's brilliant directing, I don't see any issue with referring to this movie as both dark and charming. The King of Staten Island is rated R. It was directed by Judd Apatow, directed, or excuse me, categorized as a comedy and drama. It runs two hours and 16 minutes long, and it stars Pete Davidson, Bill Burr, and Marissa Tomei. The King of Staten Island was awesome. It was really good. I gave it a 93% fall on the milk meter. From start to finish, I was completely locked in on this movie. The darkness in Pete Davidson's character and the mental battle that he has with himself, it was made apparent from the jump, and although it never ceased... His charm, to me, came through in his self-awareness and, ironically, 
his kind of optimistic attitude. No, he wasn't optimistic in the regular sense of the word. I even feel silly saying he was optimistic in this movie. But the way I see it, he was always smiling. And I thought that his ability to always be smiling and simply just accepting the terms of his reality were incredibly relatable to anyone who either struggles with similar issues themselves or someone who knows another person with that sort of situation or dealing with those similar issues. The connection that he was able to create with his family and his friends too, to me, felt so pure and rewarding for both he and the audience. And it was a big part of what kept me, myself, smiling for the entirety of the movie. On top of that, it never hurts to have some of the funniest people in the business involved in this movie. I know a lot of people are really split on how they feel about Bill Burr and Pete Davidson. I personally like both of them, so I like seeing them on screen. And I thought that they played off of each other so well, especially with Apatow, again, at the helmet of it all. Of all the movies and TV shows to watch right now, it seems a little bit backwards to recommend a movie that has a bit of a doom and gloom mood to it, but everyone involved in The King of Staten Island did a tremendous, tremendous job of making you laugh and smile, all while telling a heartwarming and emotional story tied to the life of Pete Davidson in honor of his father, Scott. As long as I have the slightest of interest in seeing a movie, I always give extra brownie points to the ones that don't spoil anything in the trailer. I give even more brownie points to the ones that literally don't tell you a thing about the movie. Defy Bloods is rated R. It was directed by Spike Lee. It is categorized as a drama and war movie. It runs two hours and 34 minutes long, and it stars Delroy Lindo, Jonathan Majors, and Clark Peters. I gave Defy Bloods an 86% fall on the milk meter because this movie was awesome. And as you can probably assume, everything that I mentioned in the beginning there with the brownie points and whatnot, you can probably assume that I only mentioned that because Defy Bloods never really gave you too much to work with in the trailers. So, naturally, I couldn't wait to see it. All you had to do was say it was Spike Lee, don't tell me anything in the trailer, just give me a synopsis. Cool. Totally on board. Finally, now that I, the time to see Defy Bloods has come and gone, I do want to lead with the very, very, very few things that I think could have been better. Didn't think they were bad necessarily, but better is better. I think it could have been better. For one, I don't know that it needed to be as long as it was. I enjoyed the entire movie and the entire story that was told, but I think it could have been told a little more concisely and still gotten the point across. I've mentioned before, I'm all on board with long movies. As long as the story's, you know, thoroughly and well told and it's interesting and I like it, I can sit through whatever. Give me a four-hour movie for all I care. I'm going to watch it as long as I like it. Second. There is no second point. Honestly, everything else about Defy Bloods was really awesome. So even just mentioning that it was a little bit long is just being nitpicky because I still really liked it. As always, Spike Lee directed another really powerful film that should resonate with a lot of people or at least just share a new perspective on something that maybe you haven't been so exposed to. This time around, I was most impressed with the acting. The way they were able to carry the story and really drive home some heavy emotion was incredibly incredible. And I have to give a specific shout out and a specific mention to Delroy Lindo as Paul. I mean, he was amazing. I don't know, I don't know how the award season is going to go next year. I'm not necessarily even saying that he has to win an award for this movie, but he was he was awesome. His his portrayal of his character, Paul, incredibly powerful, really well done. A ton of credit to Delroy Lindo in this role. Is this Spike Lee's best work? It definitely could be. 
Depends on who you ask. It definitely could be. For as great as this movie was, I personally, I gotta, I gotta have it take a backseat to Black Klansmen. Not that the two are related. Not that they're competing with one another. And I've mentioned before that I know it's not fair to compete or to, to pit, you know, a director's movies against one another and just say like, oh, this one's better, so I don't even like this one. That's not at all what I'm saying. But just personally, just talking about Spike Lee movies, I think I like Black Klansman better. Obviously, that one was his most recent big work before The Five Bloods, so there's some recency bias there, and there's just that's the main reason that I'm pitting those two against one another. But regardless, The Five Bloods was awesome. I definitely recommend it. Everything that's going on right now, like I said, Spike Lee's work is always so powerful, and it's just so good, even just from an entertainment standpoint. So if you have any time to watch The Five Bloods, 10 million percent recommend you give The Five Bloods a watch. That's all I have for uh, movie news, reviews, no rewinds this week, but that's fine. Next week, I'm going to be talking about You Should Have Left, which will be available on demand on Friday. I'll also be reviewing 7500, available on Amazon Prime as an Amazon original. Uh, And then the rewind, not really sure what I'm going to do yet. I will keep you guys in the loop, as I mentioned. Uh, It's just really dependent on if I am able to bring on my guest or not to talk about Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Thank you guys for listening. Hasta la vista.